This is the year of Luke, the great reed. We'll be listening to his gospel for the next 21 weeks, all the way up to the beginning of Advent on December the 1st. But I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Uh, the Lucan cycle really began in January. We're just picking it up again after a brief pause for the Lenten and Easter cycle of readings. So this is, explains why today's passage begins late in the story toward the end of chapter 9. It's called the travel section because it narrates Jesus' journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. These 12 chapters are the theological core of Luke's gospel. The evangelist is preparing us to understand and interpret correctly the meaning of Christ's death and resurrection at the end of the journey. Up to this point in the story, the Lord Jesus has confined his activity to his own backyard, Galilee, and to mixed reviews, judging by the reaction of the people of Nazareth, his own hometown. No prophet is ever accepted among his own, at least Jesus says this, and we should probably add anywhere else for that matter, because his rejection at Nazareth foretells what lies in his future. St. Luke doesn't hide the fact that the Galilean ministry of Jesus was something of a failure. There's no indication that the cities of Galilee, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, responded with repentance to his preaching. Individuals, families, and communities are all especially good at absorbing the energy used to try to change them. And nothing ever changes, or if change happens, it only comes slowly. So now the Lord sets his face toward Jerusalem, the city chosen by God as his privileged dwelling place on earth. This is where Israel's God promised to gather the outcasts and rescue the poor, the place where Isaiah said the Gentiles would come to worship the one true God. Instead, it, Jerusalem earned for itself a reputation for killing the prophets and resisting God's purposes. This explains why the road that the Lord Jesus sets out on will only really end at Calvary. Rowan Williams, the Archbishop of Canterbury, wrote once that the evangelist Luke has an incorrigibly tidy mind. It's something only someone, a, a, a British theologian, would say. It's an insightful observation, however. We can see that tidy mind at work in this Sunday's passage. The entire section, this entire section, is framed by scenes of rejection. I've already mentioned the uproar at Nazareth and Jesus' ultimate rejection at the hands of the temple leadership. In this passage, Luke gives four more brief examples of the kind of reaction that Jesus faces, the inhospitality of a Samaritan village that won't welcome him, and th three would-be disciples who cannot accept the conditions for accompanying him. At some basic level, these three would-be disciples, these would-be followers, are clueless about what it means to be a disciple. They may be thinking that Christ is going to lead a coup d'etat against the established order in Jerusalem and claim the throne as Israel's Messiah. What they fail to grasp is that Christ will reign from a completely different throne. 
If the story of Good Friday and the events of Easter Sunday is the goal of Luke's gospel, and if Luke's mind really is so tidy, why did he spend so much of his time, not to mention ours, writing a 12-chapter travelogue? And why not cut right to the chase and go directly to the Passion account in chapter 22? The answer is that what also interests Luke is the shape of salvation in the lives of individuals who, like you and I, come into contact with Jesus Christ. Do they accept the good news of salvation or do they reject it? And what are the consequences of that acceptance or rejection in an individual's life? Luke wants us to understand that the shape of salvation wrought by Christ begins here and now not in an alternative universe far, far away, and not in a post-mortem existence at the end of our natural life. It concerns the whole life of a believer. Those who accept Christ's offer of salvation agree to live a distinctive way of life as citizens of a kingdom that is already present in our midst. St. Luke is insisting that the shape of salvation looks like the body of a man hanging from a cross, and that we cannot be for Christ and against him at one and the same time, because, as St. Luke also wants us to know, we either hang with the crucified or we stand with the crucifiers.